Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, 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 everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj Jana. Boy, am I excited to be here today. I've got my coffee. I am pumped. It's an early morning and I'm just feeling really good about life right now. And today's episode uh, is a doozy. <laughs> um Today we are featuring my my friend, Mr. Frost Facet. Uh, Frost is an incredibly intriguing guy. I, I met him a little while back at an event and I uh, kind of was so intrigued by him and his philosophy for life that I had to have him on the show. So Frost uh, started something named Dice.Event where uh, he pretty much went to a new community event, talked to a new person and walked away with a new interview for 365 days straight. So, yeah, and he recorded everything, and he's got all the footage and everything, and uh, that's Dice.Event. So he's an incredibly uh, fascinating and passionate guy um, that I just love talking to because he's so – He's so he's just so excited about the concept of community and how communities and a sense of belonging and connectedness can make us all happier as human beings. And he's got incredible insight on it all and some incredible stories to tell. And uh, towards the end of the episode, we really get into some gold. So I, I can't wait for you to to hear Frost's uh, perspective. And uh, but before we do that, as always, if you haven't already, rate and review the show. Subscribe on your favorite channel. Let me know what's working and not working, so that we can I can continue finding the greatest and best people on the planet that I think so at least to come here and just share amazing insights for you. Um, if you don't like something or if you don't like someone, please tell me. I want to hear this stuff. This is all great stuff for me. Uh, but uh, I know I have a feeling that Frost's conversation today um, is going to challenge you to think bigger and better about the way you interact with people. So without further ado, here is Frost. And we are live. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Super pumped and excited for today's amazing guest. I hope everybody's ready. Uh, Mr. Frost Facet. How are you? Pleasure to be here with you, my friend Um, Raj. I am so pumped. Oh my God. I've known Frost for a while now. Uh, we met at a, met a little while back and uh, probably one of the just happiest people I know. Um, <laughs> and I'm super thrilled to have him here, but, uh, and it'd be for a different reason than you think. Yeah. I usually like to bring on people that are uh, friends or acquaintances in different parts of life uh, because I think that uh, just everybody I've been meeting on this journey of, uh, of building my company and, and traveling has, has been so insightful in in the areas of of staying grounded and being happy. But Frost has got a really amazing story. And I know I talked a little bit about that uh, in the intro, but Frost, I'd love for you to sort of talk about your 2017 and 
what that was, what it, what it was, what that was like for you. And just so everybody can be on the same page and, and just excited about where you're headed and what's going on, man. Well, I hope when everybody is listening to this podcast, they get excited for where they're at in their own lives, where they feel like they're compelled or motivated to be going. And this is a continuity of my own life's purpose. Uh, because back in 2014, I had a cardiac arrest. I was running a race, a 10K, and died about uh, 50 yards short of the finish line. Almost made it. Wow, and nurses yeah. did CPR and saved my life. And coming back out of that, I thought, what do I want to do with my life? You know, it kind of has that, that jolting life question uh, that I needed to re-ask myself. And that big question was, you know, where do I want to go? What do I want to, what, what kind of interactions like this? This is a meaningful interaction. What interactions with other people do I want to have? Yeah. And you evaluate, you reassess your impact in the world. I think it makes a, a profound difference on the direction that you go in life. And I decided coming out of that moment, and, and we can have their own catalytic moment, if you will. But in that moment, I decided uh, coming, coming out of that, that fog of war, if you will, from waking up in a hospital bed and getting my reorientation back. I thought, you know, I'd really like to live a different mantra than I have been. And that mantra was, I'd like to go and see different things, meet different people and learn new right. things. And it evolved because a few years later, I had more of the resources and the opportunity built up uh, in the thought process of meeting people like you in, in 2015, 2016, yeah. to essentially say, you know, I think community is, is a really important concept. So if I'm going to live yeah. a mantra like that, we really got to look at what's going on in our nation. And there is so much polarization between people with the political side of Trump versus Clinton and all these other things, black versus white, uh, police brutality and, and all that that was yeah. going on and conversations that were very one side or the other and not a lot of going on in the middle. And yeah. America is about the middle ground. America has always been about, you know, having a democracy, which is about compromise. It's about listening to other people and figuring out what they stand for and creating this, you know, melting cauldron, if you will, of yeah. all these different cultures and people and thoughts and ideas that can come together and find some middle ground and build a culture or organization around that. Yeah. And that is essentially what we did, you know, several hundred years ago when our founding fathers got together. And then through the years, we hashed it out and come with what we got <laughs> now. Um, and many people didn't like the choices in the political realm recently, which, you know, whatever your, your thoughts are on that, uh, that's not what I'm here to talk about today. But what I, what I do want to have a takeaway from is looking through that, I felt that community events are the social fabric of America. And if we can have more community events, we can have more real world face-to-face -face conversations with people shaking hands, then that is what's going to truly impact our nation and be able to evolve our democracy to, quite honestly, retain our democracy. Because if yeah. we go into this uh, rioting mindset and, and uh, protests evolve to violence, that's not the way to go. And yeah. certainly Dr. Martin Luther King wouldn't think that was the way to go many years ago either. So we got to keep that in mind. If we're going to have the difference in opinions, that's healthy. We need discourse in America. We need differing points of view and opinions. But what we need to do more than that is work through them collaboratively, yeah. nonviolently, and, and have a dialogue so that people can understand us. So and tell me that's more about where that, I think yeah. the community event side is, okay, so if we're going to have more of these dialogues that are good for America, and that's a patriotic thing to do, then how are we going to do that? Uh, and that's not just me as one person is going to change the world. That takes all of us to engage in those conversations and change the world. And then I thought, well, knowing what we know from being an internet marketer, uh, you know, it, you, you've got to have a framework for something to be successful like that. So then I thought, well, what's the framework? How do we make a good community event? And back in 
gosh, I don't know, it was probably 2014, 2015, around the time of the cardiac arrest. I don't remember if it was before or after, uh, but we hosted a event at our family business and it was about doing something in summer and bringing in uh, free ice cream for the kids and having some bands locally and just having this kind of crazy concept that we would host a party for a new warehouse that we were building as a business, yeah. family business. And when we hosted that event, uh, we, we put out a press release because the animal shelter, where I was on the board as well, um, they were building a new cat edition. And I thought, well, they're building something new. We're building something new. Let's talk about it. Let's create community conversations around this. Yeah. And we put out a press release and nobody cared. And it was so frustrating thinking, well, we're trying to do something good for the community and grow our business, but I get it. A warehouse is pretty boring. So what are you can do about that? Well, we decided to throw a party. That's the evolution of the thought process. Yeah. So we decided to throw this event and, it, within, I think I had three weeks to plan this event. Within the three weeks, we created this concept and I got 700 people to show up. And I got, of all the news news places that told me, no, not interested on the press release, um, I, by turning it into a community event, I got on three live TV appearances, front nice, page man. paper coverage and all these radio shows. And people were asking me, how the hell did you do that? And that's where the community event thought process started to kind of evolve. So then as it fermented, I was like, well, maybe I'll write a book about this, um, you know, teach people how to host high impact community events. And then as I started writing the book, I'm like, well, who am I? I'm one guy that's only done one event in his life. And I got really lucky and had a ton of people show up. Yeah. So what made me so special? And that's when I thought, you know, it'd be really cool if I could go out every single day and live the mantra that I thought to myself, I wanted to live, go out, meet, meet new people, learn something new every day, go to new places, but really apply that in a meaningful direction to community events. And so that created the project DICE, Daily Inspiring Community Event. And for one year, I went on a journey and I got to talk to, oh gosh, thousands of people. But every single day, I would, I would live this mantra of go one new place, meet one new person, and learn one new thing. That's amazing, man. And it's a journey that anybody can do. Yeah. It was like the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Because if you can find the 15 minutes in your life to go look on Facebook and see what's going on around you and show up then you're part of a community event yeah. and you can go study you can go interview you can just show up and enjoy it. I think that's the more important thing. It makes you a more full person to go and, and do that. But how many events do we actually go to normally every month? I was probably going two or three a month at the most. Yeah. Uh, how, many, how many did you go to last month? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I, not many, I think maybe one, uh, maybe one. that was where I was pulled to. <laughs> um, I, I think that's such an important point. Uh, you know, there's so many, you know, I'm, I'm reading a, a book right now by Brené Brown. It's called Braving the Wilderness. And oh, yeah. She was, she's talking about the concept of community and belonging in, 20, in 2018 um, and how although we have so much connectivity and so much connectedness and seemingly a lot of community events happening, we've never been so alone or never felt so lonely. Very true. Because we're all on our phones, right? Our, exactly. Our down, and that is the connection, but it's not. Yeah, no. But, you know, if we could get off of the social media and get our eyeballs back in the real world and have these conversations in person, that's what it takes. And I think this is the key. I'm onto something. And I think what I'm onto is that if we can take the Facebook events tool, that's good. Facebook itself, it's a waste of time if you get sucked into it. But Facebook events tool is like a gold mine. 
I went through over a hundred events every single day just to pick one that I thought would be inspiring and go and find that event and go interview the host. That was sort of my goal. So over the course of a year, it's like 35,000 events that my eyeballs had to scroll through on Facebook in order to find the one, the needles in the haystack that I thought would be good. And some days are tough. Some yeah. days looking and there's like nothing good. And some of the events would suck. I'd show up. I was like, wow, Holiday Lights Festival. I thought that was going to be a great one. And I showed up to a Holiday Lights Festival and nobody else was there. There's barely any snow on the ground. It was just me driving in my car by myself in some town that I spent like an hour and a half driving to just to see what was ranked as like one of the top 10 Holiday Lights Festivals in the state. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. So you... It sounds like there were a lot of ups and downs. You, you did this for an entire year, right? So 365 Absolutely. days of meeting one new or going to one new event, meeting one new person and just starting one new dialogue, really. Absolutely. And 90% um, of them were awesome. I mean, really, most of them were very good because if you could go through 100, you'd, you'd usually find one going on that day. Yeah. But like what kept you going when you like, I mean, you drove an hour and a half to go to an event. That's pretty amazing to me. <laughs> Who's like, you know, uh, I see all these events and I I live in a, I live in downtown Houston, Texas. There's lots of events all around me and I can't find myself to go to something five minutes away from me. So answer me this. How long do you get stuck in traffic in Houston for some days? Uh, quite, quite a amount of time. I mean, right? I, about an hour and a half you could, right? Probably, yeah. <laughs> some days. So uh, to me, I live in the Midwest. I'm in the middle of Illinois. I'm not in Chicago. So some people are getting stuck in a metropolitan area. They're getting stuck for an hour and a half in traffic. So I'm like, hey, if you're wasting this time, you no excuse. You can find something close to you to go to. For me, I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I got to drive an hour and a half to go find stuff. But no, absolutely. I'm in the process of the experience, if you will. Anybody you know, rural or big city could do this. And when I travel to big cities, that was a big part of the project. I would go find events and it would take me, you know, sometimes 30 minutes on a subway or whatever we get there. Well, it's, this sounds like something that made you happy. And I think that's something that's really, um, really important to take away. How did you, because a lot of people, including myself, and that's, that's a, a recurring theme in this podcast that I keep finding is that a lot of people aren't putting in the work that it takes to make themselves happy and bring in fulfillment. I know that's me. true. Well, and you got to find what makes you happy too, because another big thing is like, I, you know, I was in the Marine Corps for a, a, you know, a few years back in, back in the day and I had a, you know, a nice six pack and I got to work out and it was good, but it's not like I was motivated myself to go to the gym. I went there cause we wake up every morning, you got to be a formation and somebody walks you through PT and it's part of your schedule, right? Yeah. Not all of us get to join a schedule that includes the gym as mandatory fitness. When you wake up in the morning, when you become an adult, you get to figure out for yourself, is this part of my schedule or is it not? You got free will. You got to make a choice to do that or not. And to be quite honest, after the running, it wasn't part of my schedule. I'm not excited to go run when in the back of my mind, I'm like, am I going to die? I don't know. I mean, I hope not. I like to run, but you know, I also don't want to die. So there's that, that trade off. But you know, for most people, it's less severe. It's you, there's other things. You got busy, you got emails, you got your business to run, you got kids to manage. If you have kids, whatever that is, people get busy and they, they prioritize. And I think part of this, it became an obsession in a way, in a positive way, because when I started out, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just do this for, I'll do it for a week and see how it goes. And then I loved it. And I was like, well, I could do this for three weeks. I could do it for 21 days. I knew 21 days to build a habit. So let me try that out. And then I got to 21 days, like, well, I could do this for a month. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that I could do that much more than that. I mean, I'm going to impact, you know, my family, my, my dad had his 60th birthday. My brother had his 30th birthday. I'm like, how am I going to do a community event every day if I got uh, these milestone birthdays for family. Yeah. I got to celebrate uh, with that cut into it. 
And, and shockingly, it didn't, because as I got into February, they thought I was doing this really cool thing. It, at the start, I was like not telling anybody, and I didn't think that they would think it was cool. Um, my, and my dad, I don't, I don't know that he did initially either until he actually <laughs> committed. But my mom's like, oh, this is good. So in a way, two things, two secrets to keeping the, the momentum going back to your question. Um, number one, you got to find something you're passionate about. And number two, you got to have kind of a buddy or somebody to check in with. There's somebody that's, you know, it, that's going to be happy for you to want you to succeed, right? Like, yes, you can do it on your own. It's much harder though. If you're only just working out for you and you're going to self-admire your six pack and you're great, but like generally there's a reason behind it. If you got a spouse, like you want to make your woman happy, like go do that. And if you're single, then you want it because you want to attract somebody. So there's that too. I mean, there's usually some motivation behind it. Uh, but if you have somebody telling you this is a good idea that's supportive, like you as a podcast host, pe- you're, you're telling people in a positive way, like, hey, this is a good project, go do this. There's motivation that's going to be behind that. Um, but also realizing what you're passionate about. I Again, I still haven't integrated the gym fully into my life. I wish that I could do that more frequently. I just ran this morning at 5 a.m., but it's not like I'm doing that every day. I was only able to do this project every day because I thought it was really important for a bigger reason beyond myself that I thought, you know, if I could show people that it can be done, then more of this can happen in America. If I can do one every day, then you can do one once a month, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's some level of extremes there, but also as a passion, as I got to do it more, I loved it more. I loved the connections and, and meeting those people more. And now look at this year, 2018. I have only gone to a couple community events this month because I've been busy. Um, but, and then there's all this video content added. I've got eight terabytes worth of video footage in the beginning of the year. I did one every day. I was like, I got to get my timeline, get one out release and stuff just was happening. I got all this other stuff going on with business. So I got busy and that's an excuse because I'm not passionate about video editing. Mm, Yeah. So what's happened? I'm two months behind releasing the videos now for this awesome project. And I feel like every video that I don't release, I'm impacting an interview that I did that someone committed their time. They took the time to interview with me and share their story and why they did their event. I'm doing a disservice and I'm disrespecting those people by not getting it done. And it's frustrating to me. So I have a, I have a, something I just want to admire about what you just said actually is really, really important. And I want to bring back some attention to it. You said that it's important to have somebody who's going to be excited if you succeed. Yeah. going to be happy for you. And I think that's a really good way to put it. I mean, I've, I'm no, I'm no stranger to the world of accountability buddies and, and gym buddies and all that stuff, but describing it that way as somebody who is going to be really excited for you and not judge you for wanting to change or not like want to hold you back. Somebody who's really encouraging um, that's so important. And you're right. Um, especially when you're doing something as to the magnitude that, that you did, which is go to something new that, that seemingly in the beginning did take effort. You, you had sprints, you did two weeks and then you did 21 days and you did a month and you had right. these sprints, but you had your mom really excited for you. Um, and they didn't judge you for not for, uh, for, for compromising, possibly being at these milestone birthdays. I mean, you, and I was still able to do it. I still went to my dad's birthday or my brother's birthday I flew out to New York for a surprise birthday, 30th birthday. He didn't know I was coming. And, and I, I think surprised him there. And I still did a community event that day. You know, I fit in my 15 minutes. And I think that's the amazing part because when you have the support of somebody who is able to say, hey, look, I'm really excited for you. Go do this. You actually end up wanting to go and make them proud, which is showing up in ways that, that uh, you, you want to be better for them too. And Absolutely. I think that that's that, that's that connectivity 
aspect that you that you so brilliantly just kind of brought out. Um, and I'm sure that comes in from just meeting so many people and seeing the rule, the real true power of connection. Um, so but it sucks because I'm, you know, when I release this stuff on YouTube, the first month, I don't have any positive comments. I haven't built an audience yet. So yeah. I don't have anyone cheering me on. And like one of them was a video about Muslim culture. And so, you know, there's like, there's one guy that's a, be- a brilliant Georgetown professor. And I think everyone should watch this half hour video because I learned all this stuff about Muslims that I would never otherwise know about. But, you know, at the same time, not everybody's interested in that. So yeah. maybe somebody watches this community event and they're like, okay, so what? You release this 30 minute video. I got stuff to do, man. Like I'm busy. And nobody's yeah. out there as my active cheerleader, like helping me get this stuff. <laughs> so well, that's why it's, that's why it's important. That's why it's important that, uh, one doing it for the right reasons. And it sounds like you did, you did it for yourself. Yeah. You did it because it was something you wanted to do. And then you found people in your life that supported you as you did it. And that's why I think it's so amazing. I just think that everything you've done is so incredible. Um, especially with the commitment to staying through this and seeing it through. So what are some of the biggest things you learned from that entire year? Um, and how has that positively impacted your life? What things are you taking with you forward? What things are you leaving behind? Tell me about that, man. One of the things I learned is that it's always easier if you got help. It's hard to be a content creator these days. You know, you got a one man band that does everything. You got to shoot your own video. I mean, I learned, I, I learned so much about just video. I hate making videos. <laughs> it's like, you got to buy a $2,000 camera. You got to get the editing equipment. I was very lucky to have a MacBook Pro to edit all this stuff in Final Cut on. And it's like all these things add up. It's probably like $6,000 just for the rig to do the project professionally. Yeah. And you probably use a cell phone, but then you need like a thousand dollar cell phone that has a good camera on it. You're like, oh, this stuff is so expensive. So the average person I feel like is at a disadvantage to go and do a project like this, but anybody can just show up and you don't have to film it. You can just show up and enjoy it. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned is that yes, it's expensive to do content creation. That was a side lesson. But what I did learn is that you don't need any money to do free community events. And I think that's a more important lesson for your audience is that regardless of all the stuff it costs to, you know, to do the filming, that doesn't matter unless you're trying to build a podcast like you have or you know, build a, a following to get the, the message out there. But on your own, you can personally impact lives around you. And maybe there's only 20 or 30 people at a small community event. But if you make meaningful interactions happen and you meet two or three or four people, that can be a really good takeaway. Those people can help you in your community. Maybe it's not even about help. Maybe you're just having a good interaction that you've walked away a changed person because you learned something about someone else's culture. And that adds to the deepness and the richness of your own life because you're willing to have that conversation. And that doesn't happen over Facebook. Facebook is, you know, when you look in your newsfeed, you're siloed. You, you see what friends are sharing, friends that are like-minded, that think like you. So that's, to me, that's not an active democracy because you're only exposed. And if your buddies are all, you know, uh, sharing CNN, then that's what you get to see in your newsfeed. You don't get to see Breitbart or vice versa. You know, like there's there's people that are looking at siloed information because that's what's comfortable for their perspective. Whereas a real world conversation, you get to go to a different part of a community and learn something new and and meet somebody new. And I think the most uncomfortable one I ever went on was in Washington, D.C. in Ward 8, supposedly the most dangerous part of Washington, D.C. And I, I brought my friend, Jen, who owns a NASCAR racing team. She's the only Chinese American I know that owns a NASCAR racing team. <laughs> and so she comes with me and she's driving her Audi and we drive into this like really, uh, how do I be kind in my words here? Um, not uh, economically impacted area. 
and and there's a lot of really interesting characters and this address doesn't match up what's on the Facebook invite. So we show up and now we're at like some shady liquor store and Jen and I are looking at each other. I'm like, I don't know. Do I go in? Like, I don't see this community event. I don't see anybody serving food. What's going on? So I walk into this place and there's, you know, I managed to find somebody's Facebook photo that's connected is going in this event. And I pull up their Facebook photo and it's this black guy that I'm showing photos of. So now I'm look, I look like a police officer that's like, hey, have you seen photos of this guy? <laughs> it's like, this is, not, this is not really a community good interaction going on right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's the nicest people in this liquor store. And, uh, and when one of them, I, I remember I was wearing a marmot coat and he was wearing a marmot. And that's how we made a connection. We're like, oh, we're wearing the same clothing. Cool. You got a marmot jacket. Awesome. And because of the marmot jacket, he was willing to talk with me. It was like number one lesson in the community. Find something in common and go with that. He's like, oh, I've seen this guy. He actually works out at the local gym. He's a boxer. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Well, is he around? Do, do they do these meal things? He's like, yeah, I've heard of this. Uh, they do it once a month. And so we waited and suddenly this uh, van showed up and it was a rickety old van with a squealing engine and uh, these guys got out and, and, and they didn't come from much. Uh, it wasn't about that, but they were there in service to their community and with what little they had with one guy was a street trash collector, I think it was, or owned a garbage truck or something. And the other guy worked for like the city doing uh, water main repairs as some, some aspect of that. I mean, these are guys that you know, they're busting their butt every day in some of the hardest jobs that most people don't want to do. And yet they find the time to come out and give back to the community. And they met a friend, I guess they grew up with in childhood, who is a chef, a line cook, if you will, at a restaurant. So he had access to the kitchen equipment. And together they pooled their limited money and they served a meal. And probably nearly 100 people went through that line and ate with no restrictions other than just be there, don't cause trouble, and, and enjoy a meal with your neighbors. Wow. And anybody could come. This is not like a meal for the homeless. This is, this is a meal for people in the community, anybody. And it was amazing what three guys with just a little bit of money could do in an evening. And that, to me, was an inspiring community event. Because we have so much. We are so fortunate in the lifestyles that we lead. I get to bring the dog to the office today and you know, <laughs> I'm sitting in a, in a comfortable air-conditioned environment with a desk. And from time to time, go on a ski vacation. And that's, that's nice. And then I'm glad that, you know, our family has worked hard to earn that. But at the same time, it's important to recognize that not all of your neighbors have that. And to take a few times a month to go out and meet those people and have those conversations, it adds a deepness and a richness to your life. Because in the most troubled, supposedly most violent place in D.C., I found a very calm, serene attitude in the people that walked those streets that were very friendly that were very welcoming that invited me to share a meal with them and just be part of their community yeah and that's profound i think that is a beautiful um example of uh, of all of us and the capacity in all of us to see the good in people um how do you recommend i guess like what that's a meaningful relationship what did you walk away from that and how has, like, from, from the year of meeting so many people, um, how has that sig- or profoundly impacted you? Mm-hmm. Um, how has that changed you as a person? And how do you approach your relationships now with the attitudes that you picked up along the way over the past year? And what kind of advice do you have for people who want to build more meaningful relationships, whether it be with their family members or people who are completely different than them? Uh, how do you, like, what, what do you have or just as in, in general, like 
how do you approach life, man, when it comes to this subject? Well, life is not static. Life is one point in time, right? We're, we're here right now, but we have a past and we've got a future. And I think it's important to recognize that when we look at that past and we look towards the future, it's, it's a work in progress. There's no justification that we've got it right and correct right now. So I think part of this process is, is knowing that where I've got to go has to be a constant reevaluation of where I'm at right now. And I think that's where mm-hmm. the conversations need to keep occurring. It's not that I just learned something in that one moment, one moment and it's going to change my life forever. I believe that those interactions have to keep happening. You don't know what the needs of your community are unless you have a constant pulse on them. You could say, I know what my community needs today, but tomorrow can change. Yeah. And another good example, going back to that same group that I talked about that I was so inspired by these three guys was when I checked back a year later and I started releasing the content, I then went and looked up this organization and they had a black mark. And I thought, well, what could possibly have happened for these guys to have a black mark with all the good stuff they're trying to do in the community? And uh, a year later, I guess a few months later, closer to July, and I think they've stopped doing their community events since, which is a very sad uh, point of this, is that uh, there was a, a woman from that area in the neighborhood uh, and apparently had a daughter that came wearing extremely skimpy clothes and people made comments about it and she felt uncomfortable and the guys were trying to be neutral that were running this thing so they didn't stand up for anyone and so then they basically had a women's group come out and say well you're sexist and all these other things and I, I know them only in the interaction that I had but in the interaction I had they were not they didn't treat women negatively at all. Uh, my friend Jen was there and they treated her extremely kindly and they didn't make crude comments to her or anything. Um, but it, it came across that they said that maybe this person's daughter should put more clothes on and she wouldn't be harassed. And that was taken as an offensive comment. Yeah. And pretty much got them blacklisted. Uh, I, I guess people just kept giving them a hard time after that. So it is kind of sad. I know that we're in, in the place where, you know, men like you and I have to reevaluate what we're saying um, and make sure that nobody's offended by it because, you know, the, the locker room talk as, as pre, you know, previous generations of men would say uh, has, has changed in what is now said in those locker rooms. And it, yes. you, know, you can still say certain things, but uh, now if you're, if you're using inappropriate words and you're making people feel excluded and, and harassed, then that's not okay. And I think that we, yeah, we've got to, we've got to stand up for women's rights. I believe in that firmly. I, you know, everyone should be treated fairly. Uh, but at the same time, there's definitely a, a challenge for men these days of, you know, looking over their shoulder and, and making sure they haven't offended somebody. There's that extreme as well. So uh, that's, that's another odd takeaway um, coming out of this project is, is seeing three guys that I felt were really well-intentioned that were not, in my opinion, harassing anybody, but that were, accused of such and, uh, and creating a hostile environment. And so their efforts have, have since dwindled in the community as a result. How did, what did you learn from that? And in, in the way that you communicate, um, is it, uh, how do you turn, I guess it's, it's people have differences of opinions, right? Sure. And, and you said yourself that middle ground, right? Right. That's so that's, that's, that's the challenge. So, you know, I think a lot of times the reason people don't go out and, have conversations with people who are different than them is because of the potential consequences that may come from a difference of words or Absolutely. misunderstandings. And so how did you approach going to different types of people, different types of communities, and how did you find a middle ground? What was the middle ground and how did that connection sort of foster itself as you met so many different kinds of people? 
I think the challenge right now in, in our current situation uh, in America is that there, the middle ground is not defined. And that is up to all of us to continue defining. And I think that is a, it's a generational thing. It's like I said, time is not fixed at one point in time. We have to keep going through these conversations to figure out what is the appropriate thing to do and make sure that that, you know, is done appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's kind of redundant, but, um, but it's true. And I think that, you know, when you look at organizations that are putting on community events, and this is part of the reason why I went through this process and I really want to help train and teach people how to do high impact community events is because people don't think about these things. You know, when you, when you have a framework that you can go by and you can say, well, this is probably something we should consider is it a checklist item in the book or the course or whatever, you know, that we could teach? Um, I, yeah, I really want people to think about stuff like that. And, and I think that all organizations need to. Obviously, that one topic on sexual harassment and women's, in, in, you know, being tangential to women's rights, I think it's already a national conversation. We can clearly see that with people getting removed from jobs that have, you know, behaved inappropriately in the past. Um, but I think it still is up for redefinition. And that's what is happening right now it is community events that are redefining these things. When Weinstein was acting inappropriately and you know, harassing women and, and, and doing all those things, it took a community to fix the problem. It took yeah. the film community, the Hollywood community, to stand up and say, this is not okay, we will not accept it. And then the community is made up of organizations and people in those organizations that all had to say, okay, these are the rules, we need to re, you know, refine them, we need to create rules if we don't have them. Those are things that people just kind of didn't look at, or maybe they just bought, you know, the $49 template course that is your 30 minute video that everyone watches at the time they first begin their job at HR. And it's a check in a box and nobody really pays attention to it. And that's not the right way to go about it. It has to be a conversation. Let me ask you this. So I've always felt like, I've always felt like they're fundamental things that human beings, regardless of race, color, age, sex, uh, orientation, um, that can connect on. And for me, it's stuff like appreciation, um, happiness, uh, mm -hmm. fulfillment, um, you know, joy, like there are conversations like that. So how, when you approach people and you have these conversations, how do those overarching universal principles come into it? Have you seen those conversations take place and build connectivity? Um, like for me, like, you know, I start my day with, with gratitude. That's like something I start with every single day. And when I share with somebody else what I'm really grateful for, automatically, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to somebody who's a billionaire or somebody who's, uh, who has nothing, there's a moment of connection. Uh, and so how, does, how do those principles show up in, in, in the time that you were out there? Did these principles show up? How did those help you have these conversations? And how did that help you build a sense of connectivity with the people you were interacting with? Well, let me throw out a coffee term for you. I would say finding common ground is important. Hey. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely important. I, it, going back real quick to that other point of, uh, you know, the, the people putting on these events, are they creating an environment where there's a safe space? In that example with the, the three guys from DC and, and Ward 8, um, you know, there, there wasn't any definition. They didn't want the violence. They didn't want the hostility. They wanted everybody to get along. And that's nice to want that. But there were no signs posted that said we don't tolerate certain things or whatever that is. So maybe that is something that they could have done better is, you know, saying some people, some places you walk into, you know, if they, if they have the uh, rainbow flag or whatever, it's clear that there's a tolerance for LGBT. Yeah. or whatever that is. And, you know, sometimes you post like we have no tolerance for this kind of activity. They post it in their place as making it a safe space. 
colleges or wherever. You, sorry, we don't allow guns. Okay, that's someone's choice that they own their building. They don't want guns in there. Okay, it's posted. And so I think that's part of it is, is you know, when you go to these different events, to answer your question, seeing where I can find that common ground is you kind of look for cues and you try to figure out what's acceptable here in this space. What are the people like? And trying to find common ground. I walk into a liquor store and we're both wearing a marmot jacket. Like that's common ground. And based on that, the guy's willing to help me. But you kind of have to find that common ground, that common thread of whatever it is between you and the people that you're about to interact with. Because every community is a little bit different. When I went to a ukulele event, I brought my grandfather's old ukulele that I found and had it restrung and, and it made it for a really cool experience. And they're like, oh my gosh, CF Martin ukulele. And it, you know, if you're a musician, you know, CF Martin is this really great brand. For me, I didn't know what that was. So I didn't know that I had this really cool ukulele from my grandpa. But when you have something like that, it becomes a, a piece of conversation. Now they can relate to it. Now they're showing me their ukulele and they show me what strings they use and they, oh, I wish I could get a CF Martin also or whatever. It's that common ground in conversation. Because if you just show up and you don't try to find common ground with somebody, then you're not going to have much of a conversation. You're not going to have, not just on your part, but on their part, are they going to be willing to engage in dialogue with you? And that's part of this, you know, having a community event requires you to show up with an attitude of, like you said, gratitude when you wake up in the morning to be grateful and positive. That's part of your choice and your attitude. But you also have to draw it out with other people. If you draw it out from other people, then you know, you're going to be found to be accepted in an environment. Perfect example was uh, we threw a, a party. It was like a steampunk theme uh, a few weeks ago. And at this event, uh, you know, part of it's dressing up kind of like a 1920s or Victorian era, yeah. proper gentlemanly with a tie, whatever. Well, I walked into this town and I remember walking into a bowling alley dressed up in a suit and a top hat into a bowling alley that was taken over for a benefit for a motorsports racing team where everybody had jeans and NASCAR racing gear on. And they looked at me walking in the door at the suit, instant no go. Like nobody wanted to talk to me. And, and you got to be mindful of that. If you show up to a community event, what are you wearing? If I showed up to ward eight wearing a suit and tie, kind of a no go. Like yep. you're not building common ground right off the bat. You're setting yourself up as being different and that doesn't build a rapport right off the bat for people being willing to, to start to trust you. Maybe they don't initially, but to at least engage on that level of having common ground. I think that's really important. I think that's so wise. And I, I think that's, you know, one thing I just, I just love about you is, is your willingness um, to, to meet people at that point. Um, I think that's something that's remarkable about you. It's one of the things I love most about you. Um, you do make people feel very, very special and, 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 and loved in that, in that degree. But I want to talk more about you, man. I want to talk more about, um, as you're going, well, I, I mean, if I could take off my collar here and dress <laughs> for this interview, then I probably should have done that. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to talk. So like you go to these events or you went to these events. Um, did you go in with a mindset that like, you know what, I'm going to make this event amazing. Um, and if you did, how did you cultivate that? Would you have a ritual that you kind of prepared yourself mentally as you went out and cause you never know what you're really going to expect. So how did you kind of foster a sense of positivity as you went into these different uh, environments? Well, another one that's a great point on that is, uh, is having that mindset of like, this is my goal. I'm going to get this interview. It doesn't matter. Like it's happening today. I remember, uh, so there's two, two funny examples. One's Anheuser-Busch Brewery. The other one's Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida went out. Uh, I was there for a business trip and uh, it, it, with our family business. 
And I remember like three events that I tried, nothing, like I couldn't, I don't, I don't remember what happened, but like I either couldn't make it or uh, it was supposed to happen, but then didn't happen, whatever it was. I was getting to the end of the day and I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my event. I'm going to miss it. And if I mess one day up, I lose the whole project, right? I've had a consistent, like one every day. That's, that's the mantra. And I thought, well, I got to, I got to get my interview. I got to find a good event. <laughs> and I remember showing up at this bowling alley and this guy just would not let me film. He was like, nah, I, I don't want to talk. I'm busy. I'm trying to serve customers. No, not interested. And I was just like, look, man, I hate to break it to you. I've done this every day for a whole year. And if I miss this one, it screws up the whole project. And this is my, like my third time going back to him after he's told me no twice. <laughs> and I finally just poured my heart out. I put my heart out there. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got it. Yeah. I, I really want to talk to you. Like, this is a very important project to me and, and people deserve to see what you guys are doing in the community. And, and he, I don't think he was the owner. I think, you know, when you have a middle manager, sometimes they just don't get it. And that's a challenge and you're a business in a community and you want your employees to do the right thing, but they're just in the mindset of like, this is my zone. I'm making the money. Don't need to do anything else. No extra burden. And they don't want to be on camera. So in that sense, I get it. Um, but finally the third time he's like, all right, well just don't point your camera at me, but you can go and talk to some other people about it <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. But it took that heart string to put it out there and convince him in that moment, even though his was kind of like this simple acceptance of like, I don't want to be involved, but okay, fine, whatever. Yeah. That, that meant a lot to me. He didn't, I don't know if he knew how much that meant to me, but it meant a lot to me. And the other one was Anheuser-Busch is like going there, you got to deal with the corporate PR people. And I, you know, I look at events sometimes same day, maybe the day before. So I don't have like a two week lead time to know, Hey, I'm going to be in St. Louis. I'm going to go on this brewery tour and set it all up. That doesn't happen at least for this project. And, and <laughs> I just remember getting there like, no, you can't do this. Can't, we don't have anyone for you to talk to whatever. And then I just went on the tour and started talking to the tour guide anyways. And she was like <laughs> more than happy to talk to me. She's like, Oh, this is my first job here. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so fun. It was hysterical. And, and like, she's so bubbly. Like this is the perfect rep for Anheuser-Busch to begin with. She's amazing. Bubbly represents the brand. Well, knows all the knowledge and the history of the tour. Like why can't they let their, their people talk? And I think that's another thing that I learned on this whole experience is like, if you're an organization and you're trying to get yourself involved in the community, every single person that gets a paycheck from your organization is a spokesperson for your organization. Mm, yeah. Very basic things to talk intelligently about the community and to have an interaction. Like every single person that gets a paycheck, they can be a spokesperson for your organization for that one opinion, whether it's on camera or not, to make a difference in somebody's life as to whether yep. they see your organization as being worthwhile to engage with or to say, oh, these guys are assholes. I don't want to deal with them. Yep. Not interested. And that's a horrible place for an organization to be in because when you get bigger and bigger and bigger, most of these organizations, they don't care. It gets harder. And, and they, I mean, they do at the top level. The executive wants to care, but there's a disconnect. And then it's yeah. perceived that they don't care, which yeah. is, it just blows my mind. Bank of America has great programs where they go out and they put shirts on people and they send them to volunteer in the community. That's awesome. But if you're not allowed to be in an interview, if you're asked, hey, can you tell me about this Bank of America shirt that you're wearing? And I had someone say, no, I'm not allowed to be on camera. 
oh, missed opportunity, you know? Yeah. Not just for me, but like, what about a major news station? If they, if they show up and there's a community event, you got Bank of America on your shirt. Why can't you allow that employee 30 seconds to talk about what Bank of America is doing with its own programs? Whereas Wells Fargo, I had a group from Wells Fargo at the Johnsonville largest grill in America. You know, this shows up and it rolls up and it's a community event in front of some supermarket store. And they come out and volunteer from, I think it was Wells Fargo Advisors. And they were allowed to talk on camera. And they spent a, a good chunk of time saying, here's what we're doing in our community. We volunteer, you know, simple stuff. It's not like I'm trying to get them to say something stupid. Yeah. But that's an organization that does a lot. Two big banks, one that's comfortable doing it, one that's not. Why? I don't know. And that's a corporate culture thing. It's if you're an executive in an organization, you want to do community events, you got to understand like there is a huge opportunity for you to grow your brand at the individual personal level that would get somebody to sign up for an account yeah. to grow your business. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Empower your employees, put a plan together. Most corporations don't have strong community engagement plans. And I hope that changes. I love how passionate you are. Uh, I really admire your passion for this. Uh, it just shows it like I can, I can feel the energy just by the way you're describing um, how to go about fixing um, all of this. And uh, I want to really touch on this because like I said, I, I do think that just so I understand when you go to these events, um, you went in with a, I have to get an interview today, no matter what mentality. Absolutely. This is my event for the day. I'm doing it. I'm going to find somebody to talk to, even if it's not the person from the org, I'm going to talk to somebody and be like, what's going on in this community? I, I got to know why, why did you do this? I love that. I love that. And did you find that when you, when you push to the edge, um, when you're pushed to the edge that some of the best conversations came out or did you find that you found the best conversations coming from the people you actually wanted to talk to? Mm, I think that the conversations always come from the surprise of not knowing where they're going to come from. And that's quite honestly, like the best part of this is that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that love to plan, 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 and they get uncomfortable if their day is not planned, if they don't have the routine you know, and, and yes, to the point of people that say millionaires have a routine and, and they do this thing that they do every day. I believe that that's true. You know, many people with a routine do great things. But if you want to live a full life, you got to throw your routine out the window sometimes and just be willing to take a ride on what the universe has to offer you. Mm -hmm. It's like getting your surfboard in the universe out, jumping on board, going for the magic carpet ride and, and just seeing where you get taken. And that's what I did every day. I woke up, I had no idea where I was going to go. It, it, sometimes I'd do it the night prior if it was, you know, check for a morning event or something. But most days I had no idea where I was going to go that day. And that was the coolest thing about it. To me, that's exciting is not knowing, but knowing that there's a plan for me. And regardless of what your religious beliefs are, whether you believe that's from God or from wherever, um, you know, I believe that there's a path for all of us out in the universe that if we, you know, let it, let it take us there. And be open to the opportunities, be open to the conversations, to listening, listening first, and then finding out what we can contribute. That takes us for the ride. And that was so fun. It was like not knowing, but knowing that I, through Facebook, luckily, you know, you could find a hundred events nearby. You just got to search and scroll through them and see, hey, what's going on today? You and that are. power exists to every human being in the world. If you go and you look through that, you can go on the magic carpet ride. You just see what's out there and try to find the most inspiring, unique, interesting thing that you've never seen before and go do it. Be curious. If you are curious, 
you allow it to shape your life, then it will shape your life in a positive direction. Mm, that is so amazing. God, I love you. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Frost, if, if someone wanted to come and learn more about Dice and what the work you've done and, and see some of this amazing footage and, and just learn more about the events and all the amazing stuff, where would they do that? How would they, how would they find you, man? Well, first off, I hope I can find a volunteer you to help me edit all this video footage. <laughs> you that may after this episode. You may Because I've only got like 30 episodes that I can do. But they can go to dice.events and they can check out the site there. And then I'm also going to create a course. It's called Rapid Event Plan. So that'll be rapideventplan.com. Um, so a course on teaching you how to host high-impact community events. But down the road, I would also love to create something that teaches people how to get out of their comfort zone and go find community events and just be part of this. Because, you know, whether you have a committed partner or not, I would also think that this could be really great for meeting people um, for dating. You know, if, yeah. if you weren't dating anybody, community events are a great place to meet people like that. Cause you can just find really interesting groups of people doing all sorts of cool things. And you're like, Oh, okay. I could get on board with this. And, and, and it was fun. Like even when I went to China as part of this project at one point, um, I didn't know anything about flying a kite. I had a translator with me and part of this, you know, project and going to China, I went for, for business uh, for our family business, but I wanted to see, you know, if I'm going to do this community event thing, what's it like in China versus the U S and they don't have Facebook there. So you can't go on Facebook. I had to literally like search with my eyes. That's even tougher. I figured if I could do it on Facebook for a whole month or two before, then I kind of got the skills to start to recognize where community events were. And so then I had to look out for them in China. And one of them was a kite flying thing. We saw people flying kites in the park. I'm like, well, this is a community event. So when it went over there and talked to these people and there's a bunch of old retired people and they would hand make kites and they would tie a string to them. They would fly. And I'm like, my God, you know that you think about kites, you think about kids usually and go fly a kite kid. And, uh, you know, just these little kids running around, but at the same time, like now kind of cresting in that life, coming back down, these retired people have time. They want to do something fun. So now they're the ones that are out flying kites in the middle of this park. And they don't care about their communist government in, in the yeah. sense that they're super involved. It's not, it's not about the politics at that point. They're just a human being Enjoying that enjoys kites. an activity. And the Chinese people are not too different from Americans in that regard. They just want to do something fun and they want to be part of a community and meet other people that are similar to them that they can share their interests with. And there was that, there was one that has like a hacky sack thing where they're kicking around a little sack. Um, and that, that was in a metro station. And it was like mostly people over 60 years old that would show up and they would all coordinate through WeChat and you know whatever service they're using. It was, it was just funny. Phenomenal, man. And phenomenal. community still exists there. So Yeah, phenomenal. I, you, uh, you, this has been such an amazing conversation. Uh, we always have one final question um, that I ask all of our uh, wonderful um, people on the show. Uh, which is uh, in the midst of all of this and everything you've learned to where you are today, how do you stay grounded every day, Frost? Ooh, that's a good question. I, and I think my response is that I'm not always grounded. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, which is amazing. Which is amazing. Tell me more about that. Oh, man. Hmm. I was really trying to think on the spot on this one. Like, how do I stay grounded? Oh. And, and I think that it's, it's the people that you surround yourself with, you know, when it comes back to how was I able to continue on that project, even one champion, like having your mom say, Hey, this is good. Keep it up. 
um, I, I think staying grounded is about the people that you surround yourself with. And to that caveat, this project wouldn't be possible if I only surrounded myself with those people that are that positive influence in my life. Mm. So in a way, being willing to find new people to surround yourself with, I would think that that through 2017 helped me stay incredibly grounded. Mm. Define grounded, you know? Grounded to me is like not just about yourself grounded and your mental capacity and clarity and, you know, the Zen moments of life, but being grounded to me is like your feet are on this earth for a reason. You're connected like a tree and there's other trees around and just like the Aspen tree, you know, it's all the root structure is all part of a network of trees. They're all kind of one brain or ecosystem. I kind of believe that's like humanity. Our feet are on this ground, but we, we can't grow up without a community that helps us evolve into the human beings that we are today. We're a product of our communities. There's people that raised us. There's people that educated us. There's people that still help us. Even what you're doing right now, you have your own community of people that's willing to listen to you. And to stay grounded is, is to stay connected to those people in your community, whether it's online or, or offline. And I would argue it's more worthy to, to do it offline, to have those real world interactions. So I think that's part of staying grounded for me is, is making sure that my feet are planted in different places so I can have those conversations. I can be willing to listen and hear what others have to say and then shape my own ideas. You my friend are a gem in many senses of the word. I am grateful for you, your friendship, and I'm grateful that you just shared all of this amazing perspective on the power of communities, connection, and uh, just living a more abundant life. So I want to take another moment to, on behalf of me and my, and, and our listeners, just thank you so much for being here. Um, for everybody who wants to learn about Frost, we'll have all of his links as well as show notes and everything. Um, on a beautiful landing page with all the information you need to learn more about him and his amazing quest uh, for, uh, for understanding human connection. And uh, uh, I'm grateful again, man. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate the opportunity, Rash. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everybody, that's a wrap for another episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. This is my friend, Frost. And until next time, stay grounded. We'll talk very soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast brought to you by Java Press Coffee Company. My name is Raj, and I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay Grounded.